Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Found in... Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we we come here to give our full undivided attention whether we're in this sanctuary or in our living room, Lord, Jesus, you have our attention. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. I want to tell you an extraordinary story, not just a, a good one, not just an interesting one. It is an extraordinary story. And so as we listen, I'm going to invite you um, to, to lean in and listen to this story. And I want you to be in a mood of celebrating and of partying like Jesus. Now, this is not really what we do when we come to church, all right? And especially not the way that typically in a United Methodist church, we're not the most expressive of, of humans sitting in a sanctuary, all right? So I'm going to ask us all to get a little uncomfortable and a little bit courageous. Now, I don't want you to act crazy. I just want you to be about 15 to 20% more courageous than you would normally be, all right? So if you feel the Spirit calling you to say amen, all right, I want you to be able to feel like you say amen, all right? Now, um, there may be, maybe the Lord is prompting you to clap, all right? So I want you to clap. Maybe the best expressive emotion you can do because you have been trained how to go to church for all these years and not move a muscle is to nod your head, all right? And so if the Spirit is leading you to nod your head, then that's what I want you to do, all right? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, so you're in with me, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God saw that it was good. He created everything, and it was amazing, and it was beautiful, and it was just as it should be. And the pinnacle of creation was humanity, male and female. He created them, and he said that everything was good. The sunset was good. The trees were good. The flowers were good. The lions and the tigers and the bears, oh my, they were good. But humanity was very good. And he 
said, I want to live with humans. And he created humans and not robots. He didn't create humans who would just do exactly what he would say, but instead he wanted them to be able to choose to follow him. He was in this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. It was filled with the best trees you could ever imagine, the tastiest fruit. And the humans, Adam and Eve, were walking with the animals. They were, all of us were in there in peace. And everything was good. But again, because Jesus wanted to create humans and not robots, he said, you can eat and enjoy everything here, but there is one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil that you cannot eat from. What do you do when somebody tells you what you can't do? Yeah, I know, I know. I'm not going to do what they tell me to do. That's an age-old human thing, right? So what did Adam and Eve do? But they, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what they realized is that they learned that God's good gifts could be used for evil, that we can twist the goodness of God for our own selfish purposes, and that if there is life, then there is death. And death and sin entered into the world. And there was a a darkness that happened. In fact, right after they ate that tree of knowledge of good and evil, they realized a few things. They realized that they were naked. They realized that they were afraid of God. And so they covered themselves up and they hid from God. Imagine one day walking with God in the garden and the next day hiding from them. And God said, where are you? As if he didn't know. And they said, we hid because we were ashamed. Maybe you've hidden because you were ashamed by God. But God knows and God sees and God still moves towards us. Our sins have consequences. And so they were expelled from the garden and sin and the fall had entered in. And God began a rescue plan for how he was going to save his people. And the whole story is how from the moment of fall, God has entered into a rescue plan to save and redeem his people. This is our story. And so there was a guy by the name of Abram. Abram became Abraham. It's a most ironic name because the name that God said you will be called is Abraham, which means the father of many. But here was an old man who had no kids. How can you be a father of many when you can't even have one? But Abraham believed God. Maybe God has told you something and you said, no, God, that can't be true for me. Nope, 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 that's not me. That may be somebody else, but it's not me. But Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And God told him to do something crazy, to leave his homeland and to move somewhere else. And so that's exactly what happened is he left his homeland, and him and his family moved somewhere else, and he trusted that he was going to be what God said, the father of many nations, and that he was going to be blessed to be a blessing, that this was his purpose. And so his family began to grow, and they grew, and they were blessed. At one point in time, the family had to move to Egypt. And for a while, things were going well, but there was a new Pharaoh in charge of Egypt who forgot about God's chosen people and the goodness that they were. And instead of taking care of them, he enslaved them. And so God's chosen people, Abraham's family, the Israelites, were enslaved. They were trapped, and all they knew to do was to work, work, work. That was their whole entire existence, was get up in the morning and make bricks and work and work and work. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And they cried out, God, 
you are supposed to take care of us. Why are we enslaved? You promised to our great-great-grandfather that you would remember this family. Why are we hurting and suffering? And I wonder if their words felt like mine sometimes when I cry out to God, and I wonder if it gets past the ceiling. But the scripture tells us, but God heard their cries. Can I get an amen? God hears your cries. He heard their cries and he responded as he could. He rose up a guy by the name of Moses who was uniquely qualified. He appeared to Moses seemingly in the middle of nowhere with a burning bush. And he said, I am who I am. I am God and I will take care of you. And so he told Moses to go to Pharaoh a crazy ludicrous thing to do. Pharaoh was the most powerful person. Who was Moses to go to the most powerful person in the world? But God told him to go, and Moses had excuses. Maybe you've done this. God has told you something, and you've come up with all the reasons why you can't. And Moses didn't speak very clearly. He, in fact, that's what he said. He said, I stutter. God, how can I go and tell Pharaoh anything when I can barely skit anything out? And God said, I will make a way. Just do what I'm asking you to do. And so Moses, I imagine with great trepidation, went to the most powerful person on the earth who was no match for the most powerful person in the universe. And he went there and he said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh was like, heck no. I'm not going to let my slaves go. You do too much good. So God did these miracles, these signs, these wonders, these plagues. And eventually... Pharaoh relented and he said, get out of here. And so these slaves, these people who all they knew was work, all they knew were chains, were all of a sudden set free. One day they were slaves, the next moment they were free. And they went out into the world to go back to the promised land, the place where God said he wanted them to be, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. I've never, as a pastor, quite figured out what it means to have a land flowing with milk and honey, but it sounds good, right? And so here they head that way. One of the ways in which they went was that they had to go across the sea. And it says that God split the sea. Can you imagine what that would be like? That there is this water in front of you, there's this army behind you, and all of a sudden you're not sure where to go, and maybe you've been there. There's a rock and a hard place a sea and an army, and you don't know how there's going to be a way out of this. But God splits the sea, and they walked across it. Now, the way I imagine it to be, and I don't know how you imagine this splitting of the sea, is I imagine there was this pathway where they could go on like a mowed turf, but on the sides, the water was still there. Can you imagine walking, and there are the fish, and there are sharks just right next to you, I don't know if there were sharks, probably not, but it makes for a better sermon, right? As you go through, there we go, yeah, amen to that, all right? So as, we, as they walked across, now God had told them to go back to the promised land, the land that he had promised Abraham, but there was people there. And so when they got to the edge of the promised land, after God had done all these miracles, he had, they said, as they got just a few days into their journey, they began to whine and complain. Even though God had done all these miracles, all these signs, all this wonderful stuff, a few days into the journey, something terrible happened. They got hungry. And what happens when people get hungry is they get hangry. 
And they said, oh, Moses, why would you and God lead us out here to suffer and to die? It was better while we were slaves because we at least knew where our food was coming from. And maybe that's part of our story is sometimes we're into a change, we're into a transition, and we find ourselves whining and, su- and struggling because we're not quite sure how we're going to make it in this unknown world. But God delivered manna from heaven. He gives us just enough that we need each and every day. And other times he, he sent quail so that they would have some meat to eat. He said, I am with you and I will take care of you. He made water come from rocks, all these signs, all these signs of the power of God. And so you would think that after all that God had done for them, that that when they got to the promised land, there would be nothing that would get in their way. But they got to the promised land, and when they got to the edge of it, they sent these spies ahead. They They sent 12 spies. And all 12 spies came back, and they said the same thing. The land is flowing with milk and honey. All 12 spies said, but there is an enemy in there, and they're big and strong. Ten of the 12 spies said, we can't go. The enemy's too big. The enemy's too strong. But two spies said, Joshua and Caleb, the land is fertile. The enemy's big, but our God is bigger. And we can take them. But the people were afraid. They weren't ready to enter the promised land, and they chickened out. And because of that, God knew that he had to work something deep inside of them to bring a big change. It needed a big change. And so they had to wander in the wilderness for 38 years. You see, it was easier for God to take the Israelites out of slavery than it was for him to take the slavery mindset out of the Israelites. Sometimes what holds us back is how we have been trained and how we have lived so long. And what God wants us to do is to believe and trust in him in a new way of thinking and living. And so it took a long time, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness before they got to the edge of the promised land. And Joshua let them in. Now there was an enemy there. In Jericho, there was this fortified city. Now, sometimes there's, there's an enemy, and we're not sure exactly what to do. There's a problem, and we're not sure what to do. And then God tells us something weird to do. And we see that in this story. Because what Jesus told them to, what God told them to do in order to beat the army in Jericho was to walk around the city six days in a row. Now, I am not trained in combat, but that seems like a terrible strategy. Just walk around. But they did because they trusted and what God can do. So they walked around the city six days in a row. On the seventh day, God said, walk around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, blow the trumpets and yell as loud as you can and see what happens. So they walked around the city seven times. And when the trumpet blew, the people yelled and the walls came crumbling down. And they conquered Jericho. They conquered other enemies. And they believed that God was with them and that God was for them and that God was in their corner. And these amazing things were happening. But they forget. We forget. I forget. It's part of humanity. We see God do amazing things and we forget them. And so as the time went on, there would be these different enemies that would come and God would raise these judges who are more like generals who would come and lead and defeat the armies. But everybody did what was right in their own eyes. 
that in those days there was no king of Israel. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And when we all do what is right in our own eyes, we conflict with one another. We hurt one another. We suffer. God wanted to be their king, but they could not, they could not imagine not having an earthly king. And so they said, God, we want an earthly king. We want to be able to see our leader. Please give us a king. All the other countries have a king. Why don't we have a king? And so God gave them what they asked for, even though it wasn't what was best for them. And sometimes God will say, your will be done. Sometimes God will tell us, your will be done. You've got to live with it. But if you want it that bad, you can have it. And so they had King Saul. Saul looked the part of the king. He came right out of the casting agency of kings. He was big. He was strong. He was handsome. He had it all together. The thing he didn't have, which was the most needed thing, was that he needed to trust God and believe that God was the leader. And so he was brought down, but there was a new king, David. Now David is the quintessential underdog. We know about the story of David and Goliath, but when he was chosen, he was the youngest of the sons. He couldn't fit in the armor. He wasn't the one that anybody expected to be king, but he had a heart after God's, God's own heart. He said, we look on the outside, but God looks on the inside. And what he sees inside of us is often what we can't see in the mirror and often what other people cannot see inside of us. And so here David became a leader. And God said, I'm going to bless you. And, and from your lineage, from your family, there will be a kingdom forever. Now, the Israelites were happy about that because they thought we're going to be, we're going to have land and territory and a country and a kingdom forever and ever. And we will rule this earth. That's what God wants for us. But they were wrong then, and we've been wrong many times since. And what happened was, is that all of a sudden, the kings started wanting power. And there was fights between who had the most power, and, and David's sons, and grandsons, and great-grandsons. There were all these fights that were happening about who was really in charge. When power is at stake, people will grab for it all the time. And so the, the kingdom divided in two between the north and the south. And, and then what would happen in the southern kingdom is there would be some good kings, people who would follow God, who would read his book of the law, who would study his word and say, this is the way we should be. And there were other kings who just wanted to did whatever they wanted to do. And this is what happens with us, right? There are times in which, as a king, I'm going to study God's word of my own life. And I'm going to trust in him. And then there's other times I say, Lord, I got this. You worry about other people. So they went on this journey, good things, bad things, back and forth they went. Eventually, God told them that if they don't stay with him, that they will experience the consequences of exile, that they will be forced from their promised land and they will have to go somewhere else. And that's exactly what happened. The people of God were kicked out, were defeated, and they were sent to live in another place a time in which we call exile. Now, the people of God, this was not a good thing at all. Have you ever been in a foreign land and wondered how you're going to live? Have you ever been in a place in which you're not sure which direction is which or what to do next? They were disoriented, but God gave them prophets who gave them words. One of the most famous words we remember says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. 
Now, we hear that and we think, Lord, you're going to give us a hope and a future tomorrow, maybe Thursday at the latest. But what God was promising the people was that they were going to be leaving exile and returning home in 70 years. We can't wait 70 minutes. But God's promise sometimes takes generations. And in 70 years, I'm going to take care of you. And sure enough, in 70 years, a miracle happened, and they were able to enter back into their promised land. They weren't in charge. They didn't have the kingdom, but they were able to practice their religion. They were able to be good and faithful Jewish people who went to temple, who, who obeyed the Torah, who lived the life that they were supposed to live. And for a while, they did that. And they kept hearing and hoping for a Messiah, a Savior who was going to come and lead the people. They were praying and they believed the prophets that one day there would be a new king from the line of David and that that person would rule and they would have power and authority on earth. But nothing. And as nothing happened, instead of connecting themselves with God, so many people connected themselves with ritual. Instead of really connecting with the God who spoke words of life into their community. They got fixated on the rules and what they should do. And for centuries, the people did the right things, but they didn't always have the right reasons as they waited and waited for something. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, Decade after decade, waiting for something. And it was in the darkness, in the stillness, that God was about to do something. Now, in our first service, we sang the song, Joy to the World, today. They were a little thrown off by it. (laughs) But there was a point behind it, because Christmas is not just a date on the calendar. In fact, um, we do not have Christmas on December 25th because we believe that was actually Jesus's birthday. Jesus most likely was born in the spring, so if you have your Christmas lights and Christmas tree up in March and somebody says something to you, you can say, my pastor tells me I'm just celebrating Christmas at the right time, all right? But we celebrate Christmas on December 25th as a symbol and as a sign that into the darkest week of the year, light has come. Into the darkest and coldest and most miserable season, when it gets dark at 5.30 and the darkness seems to overwhelm us, light enters in. And so it was in the darkest time that a light shined in the heavens. And these magi, these wise men, these kings saw it. And they gave up everything to go and follow it. And when they went to where they were supposed to go, a baby was born. They were going to visit a king, but the king was a baby. And they made these gifts. They poured out themselves of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts of a king they gave to a baby. And they believed that this was the promise of God. God didn't just come to the rich and powerful, but he came to the shepherds. Can you imagine the difference between the wise men who came in their fancy clothes and their good smell and the shepherds who had been working all week and all night? 
bringing that stench into the stable. And they bowed down because the angels had appeared and said, on this night, the king has been born. And his name is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Prince of peace. The one who has been promised to come. He is here. And God himself entered into the world as a baby. And he was not just a baby born in power, but he was a baby born to a couple whose names history would have lost. It could have been any couple. In the middle of nowhere, in a time of no win, Jesus entered in. It says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And then the story picks up. Jesus waited 30 years. I have a hard time waiting 30 minutes when I get inspired. I have no idea how Jesus waited 30 years to do what he was supposed to do. But when he was ready, when his time had arrived, amazing things happened. Last week we talked about how Jesus turned water into wine and not just a little bit of wine, but a a miracle amount of wine. Can you imagine what it would be like to go walk with Jesus and to experience all the things that had happened? I mean, imagine what it would be like to be one of his disciples, one of the regular people that God had called. He didn't call the smartest or the fanciest. He didn't call the strongest or the toughest. He called a bunch of foolish people. And he said, come and follow me and I will transform your lives and the lives of the world. And so they went on this incredible journey with Jesus and they saw amazing things happen. They saw that that Jesus would pick up dirt from the ground, that he would spit in it. Not something you can do in 2021, Jesus, but he could do it then, all right? Spit on it, and he put it on somebody's eyes, and they were able to see. People who were lepers who had skin disease all across their body, he would speak the word, and they would be healed. Can you imagine what it would be like to see these sores become whole as you're there? Jesus fed 5,000 men, it tells us, not including women and children, with five loaves and two fish. When the disciples came to Jesus with a problem, said, what are you going to do with all these people? Jesus said, you feed them. They went and they found what they could, and God did the miracle. Jesus did the miracle. Can you imagine what it would be like when you're out on the boat And that ship is rocking. The storm came out of nowhere. And you are thinking, this is it. And Jesus is just over there sleeping. Maybe that's been your story. Your life is a storm and it feels like Jesus is sleeping. And so they wake Jesus up in a panic, but Jesus isn't panicked. He wasn't surprised. He gets to the edge of the boat and he says, peace, be still. And the rain stops and the wind stops. And the sea calmed. Can you imagine what it would be like when you're out on the boat another day and you see Jesus walking on water? The same God who split the sea can walk right on it. And you think, okay, Jesus, you're pretty cool, but you're not expecting what happens next when Peter says, Jesus, can I come out? I mean, you think, okay, Jesus can do some things, but... Peter, you're just a fool. You're going to drown. But Jesus says, come on. And so as long as Peter's eyes are on Jesus, he takes these steps on the water. Can you imagine being on the boat just floored 
But as soon as it says he sees the wind, how do you see wind? He sees the wind. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches his hand out and saves him again. This is our God. This is who he is. Can you see this miracle that's happening? But Jesus disrupted everything. He wasn't the Messiah that people were expecting. There had been other previous Messiahs. They had all died. They were expecting that there would be a a Messiah who would come and lead a battle, who would rule on an earthly kingdom, but that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to turn things upside down, but not in the way that we were expecting. And so when he turned things upside down, it just troubled everybody. Jesus will turn your life upside down and it's going to trouble you. What do you do about it? Do you say, Lord, your will, your way, or do you fight him every step of the way? And so the religious leaders and the Roman officials wanted peace. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, which means peace as long as you do exactly what we say. You can have this part of your life that you want as long as you do all this for me. And so Jesus came to disrupt everything. And so those religious leaders, those political leaders, they conspired against Jesus. They had him arrested. They put him through a mockery of a trial. If that trial happened today, there'd be Netflix documentaries about what happened and how these terrible things of injustice happened to Jesus. He was rushed through and was sentenced to death. And the people were given a choice. They could have Jesus, the one who proclaimed new life, a great teacher and healer, the one who healed every disease. Or they could have Barabbas, a raper, a rapist, and a murderer. And they said, we'd rather have that than this. I wonder if I've ever chosen death over life. Jesus was whipped with the worst whipping possible. He was forced to carry his own cross and literally have the weight of the world on his shoulders. He had cried out to God, Lord, if it's possible, Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way to do this, let's do it another way. Can you, can you save the world any way that doesn't include my death? I don't want to die. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. He surrendered completely to the Father. And so it was the nails in his hands and in his feet and the crown of thorns with the blood flowing over his cheeks. He was on the cross. And he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the midst of the pain and the suffering and the agony, he thought of them, his enemies. And he thought of forgiving them. Who is this king of glory? Who does that? And Jesus died. They made sure that he was dead. They poked a spear in his body. He breathed his last. He was dead as dead can be. They took his body, they laid it in a tomb. They didn't put food and drink in there just in case it was empty. And they left it alone. Saturday was the Sabbath and nothing happened on Saturday. But on Sunday morning, early, the women got up to prepare the body for burial. They wanted to make sure that they treated him the way that they were supposed to treat him. 
And so they made this journey, and they hadn't figured everything out, but they knew they were supposed to go. And they didn't know how they were going to roll this big stone away. But when they got there, the stone had already been rolled away. And they wondered who took the body. And they saw an angel, and the angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the one who is alive in the tombs? He is not here. He is risen. And nobody, yeah, amen. Nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected that this would happen, even though that's exactly what Jesus had said would happen, is that he would be risen. Nobody was ready for it. Nobody expected it, but it was what happened. His disciples, who were terrified, were in an upper room by themselves, and one day Jesus just walked through the walls and said, hey, y'all, that's not the literal translation, all right? Here, touch my hands. It's me. He showed them in our scripture everything that they needed to know. Our scripture today, he said, tell people, you are witnesses about the forgiveness of sins. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit who will give you power. In a world so inclined to power, why don't we wait for the Spirit's power? If you want true power, it comes from above. And then he, he went up to the mountainside and it says that he was blessing them and as he blessed them they ascended he ascended into heaven can you imagine that scene here jesus is blessing you as he floats up and at some point in time you're not sure if he's there or not and it said they worshiped him they weren't sad that he was gone because they believed in his word and in his message and in what had happened that something incredible and in the world had changed. And so they, were, they said that they went continually to the temple praising God, that their response was to party on after Jesus left, to continue the celebration of what was happening, to celebrate and to worship God for everything that they had seen and heard and experienced they had seen miracles happen, and they were going to continue to worship him day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. This week, I was listening to a sermon from a former mentor of mine, a pastor professor named Jay Ellsworth Callis. He's passed on. He is worshiping Jesus right now. Now, I, Dr. Callis is one of those preachers who makes life unfair for the rest of us. Because he had all of the gifts that you need to be a good preacher. He had an incredible mind and memory. He had a way with words that was clever and he could turn a phrase. He knew the Bible inside and out and he had a nice booming voice. Like the kind of voice that just, you just knew like, Ooh, thus saith the Lord, right? I can't even do it well. And so somebody was sharing a sermon from him and at first, I was busy doing other things, and I was listening to it in the background. You've probably done that as well. God's trying to speak, but you're too busy doing other things. But at some point in time, I, 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 I stopped what I was doing, and I just zoomed in, right? Jesus, you have my attention. And he was going, and he was saying that as a, as a pastor, he hears that sometimes people will, will come to, to worship to get a blessing. 
I go to church to, to get a blessing. Maybe you've said that. I've said that before. I go to church to get filled up. I want to come. I, I got a, a big week ahead. I need my gas tank of spirit filled up. So that's why I come to worship. And then in a way that only he could do, he said, shame on you in this booming voice. And I just whew, felt it. He said, you don't come to church to get a blessing. You come to adore the Lord Almighty. If you get a blessing, that's not even second. It's incidental. Be thankful for it. Be grateful for it. I hope it happens, but you don't come here to get a blessing. You come here to celebrate the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. We come here to recount the story of God's rescue and of his faithfulness and to prepare for our future. Your future looks like this. Imagine, I want you to close your eyes, don't fall asleep, but close your eyes. Imagine heaven. I don't care what it looks like for you. Imagine something the best you can. And imagine God, the Father, Jesus the Holy Spirit up there, and what it looks like is continual worship, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Over and over again in awe and wonder and worship, this is our future, y'all. To worship God is our primary purpose. And so when you come here, I hope you get a blessing. I hope God speaks to you. But what we do in here is to tell God we need you. It's to tell God thank you and to tell God that we love you and that we know your story is true and we adore you. That is what we do. And our appropriate response is to kneel before God and say, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful is his love for me. We adore God. We praise God. We worship him. That's what we do. And when we give our time and attention to all these other things, when, when our focus is on all these other things that happen, we miss the mark. Because God has moved. God is good. God is faithful. God is with us. And God will never leave you or forsake you. And so we worship. So what I'm going to invite us to do is just to fall down and to begin what it's going to be for the rest of our lives, which is worship. And so I'm going to have a time of prayer, and then I'm going to invite you to however the Lord is moving. And again, we're going to keep that 15 to 20% courage going, all right, of just responding to God more than you normally would. All right, we're going to open up this altar. We invite you, if you're ready to participate in the Courage Initiative, you can bring your card and lay it at the altar. Maybe you just want to come and just lay yourself down. And kneel at the altar and say, Lord, I am yours and I am grateful. Come, Holy Spirit. And may we cry, echo, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come.
Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.